going into chapter 6, but not into chapter 6 today. Let me be honest with you. Beginning of the week, I had a sermon which spanned chapter 5, verse 22, to chapter 6, verse 5 or 4. And it was uh, husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees. And by early in the week, employers and employees went, oh, I'll put that over there for another week. And then literally this morning, as I looked at my notes and they'd got longer and longer, I thought, ah, I'd better put parents and children over there for another week. So we're looking just today at Christian marriage, at Christian husbands and wives. So some of this has been kind of put together or sharpened up almost at the last moment. And um, so let's pray and ask the Lord to help me uh, that I don't talk about things that are coming up further and that I talk uh, sensibly and wisely and biblically about the things we are looking at this morning. Father, we submit our hearts to you now. We come to receive your word. You have wisdom for us, which is not what the world thinks. It's often very contradictory to the way the world thinks. And yet, when we follow what you say, we come to well-being. We come to health. We come to peace and joy. For your ways are peace and pleasantness. Yes. They seem odd to us because they're so contradictory to the way that we've heard it so many times from so many people. But every word of God is true and cleanses our way and causes us to walk in peace and righteousness. So as we think today about Christian marriage, would you please open our hearts, help us to deal with our own marriages or even for some perhaps a failed marriage. Help us, Lord Jesus. Consider these things together now, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse uh, 15, just to get the context of again. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. Um, people say, there have never been days as bad as this. The days were evil then too. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine or any other spirit, but, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then comes this section we're looking at today. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, as so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm speaking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Just to cut that shorter there, that whole passage there is about honor. And being filled with the Spirit will lead us not only to worship God in songs and spiritual songs and so on, and in thanksgiving, but being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit will cause us to live in honor towards God and others, and humility and service towards God and others. We looked at the theme of honor beginning last week, remember? And honor and humility, I called it humility, which is honor in action. Honor the Lord in psalms, hymns, and spirit, songs of the Spirit. Honor the Lord in thanksgiving and gratitude. Honor others because you honor the Lord. Honor, humility, and service are within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Humility is an antidote to pride, which was the primal sin, first in Satan and then in man. Humility comes before honor. That's an unbreakable principle of God's wisdom. You serve before you lead. You, you honor before you gain honor. And because it's an unbreakable principle of God's wisdom, humility brings wisdom. Choosing to serve will make you wise. And humility does not claim, sorry, humility is an attitude of heart, a frame of mind, but Jesus exampled honor, humility, and service to us. And I know for many people it was John 13 and Jesus washing the disciples' feet that stuck with you mostly for the last few. To paraphrase Forrest Gump, humble is as humble does. Humility, like love and honor, are seen in what you do, not just in the smile on your face. And <laughs> humble is as humble does seen in action. And humility does not claim rights but accepts responsibility, chooses to take hold of responsibility and make something happen. Yes. So in scripture that we're coming to today, we need to check our attitude. You see, husbands have used some of what is said here in this passage, Ephesians 5, verse 30, 22 to 32. They've historically use some of what's said here to oppress their wife and even women generally. Parents have used some of what is written here to oppress their children. And I use the word oppress. And bosses have certainly used some of what's written in scripture in this place and others to oppress their workers. And in each case, the person who does so shows they haven't understood scripture at all. They're abusing scripture, using it for their own selfish purpose. The word of God here speaks to and places a responsibility upon wives and husbands, children and parents, bosses and workers, to live with a sense of honor and respect towards one another. I've reserved parents and children for next week, so some of you might want to say, I want my kid in that week. You're very welcome. You, you can plan ahead. You know, if you want the children in next week, you can keep your child in next week. And uh, they can hear that. 
But don't think it's all going to be on them. We're looking this morning and next week at God's design for family, for family in marriage. Now I have to say these instructions in scripture are not a stick with which we beat the world. The world has its views on marriage which we do not hold. They've got their view, we've got a very different view because we are those who believe the scriptures. So we're separated now. What they, there's a thing called marriage which I can't accept his marriage. You understand? We're talking about Christian marriage. There was a time when uh, it, the UK was more officially a Christian nation. We still have an established church, the Church of England, but but in, the, in its values and in its laws, we're a long way nowadays from being a Christian nation. And in any case, a, a nation can only be Christian when there's a sizable proportion of its people who are Christians. It's not about how many laws we pass. There has to be that momentum of this is the common view. This is the way we live because many of us, perhaps even most of us, are believing people. That is not true. We can have influence. So these words here, I want to emphasize this, these words here are addressed to Christian wives, Christian husbands, Christian parents, Christian fathers or parents, Christian children, and Christian employees and Christian employers. They address people who fear God, who love his word, are willing to accept the wisdom of scripture who receive his grace to put that scripture into action through Christ and go on being filled with the Spirit. So they're empowered by the Spirit to do these things. If people like that, it isn't written to everybody. They can't do this. They can see it as an example. They can see it as God's design. But they have no power to make it happen because the power is in the truth and in the Spirit to equip us to these things. Now we're going to start into these instructions. And I'm also going to bring in the parallels from Colossians as well. Paul starts with wives. I'm going to use the word honour. Wives, honour your husband in the Lord. Let's go through those scriptures again, read them again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, the wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. In Colossians, much shorter. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Notice that phrase, in the Lord. This is addressing Christian people who love Christ, who fear God. In the Lord. The husband has responsibility for and therefore authority towards his wife. And we'll come to that in a moment. The wife, for her part, is to honor her husband in his role and his responsibility under God. Notice that the wife voluntarily submits herself to her husband, not to all men. This is not male and female. This is husband and wife. The roles of a Christian husband and a Christian wife. This is not a comment on gender, on male and female in every part of society and life. You got it? It's been used like that. That's an abuse. This is the willing submission to the role of a Christian husband and a Christian wife. 
The wife voluntarily submits herself to her husband, not to all men, as part of her obedience to Christ Jesus. And the headship of the husband is like the headship of Christ to his church. There are those who try to say, well, head, you can be head like the head of a river. It's where the river starts from. It's source. It's supply of the river. Uh, that works in English. It doesn't work in New Testament Greek. Uh-uh. Wrong answer. We don't make doctrine from dictionaries. Jesus is the head of the church in that he has authority and responsibility for the church. We're going to look in a moment at what he did and does for the church and then that we understand something about headship. We'll come to word later. But think about this. Jesus is the head of the church. Is Jesus a tyrant? No. no. Is he, excuse me here, is he an abuser? No. Is he violent? No. The man, the husband, is the head the wife. In the same way that Christ is the head of the church. In the same way, with the same heart. Having the same principles. Jesus leads his church with love, with truth. He's a shepherd towards his sheep and a lion towards the wolves who would seek to harm them. That's Good husbandship. Good headship. In fact, Paul here makes a comparison. In the, Jesus is the saviour of the body, so the husband is similarly the guardian, defender, protector of his wife. I said before, if you want to see me get mad and get violent, you, you, you do something to my wife or my kids. That'll provoke me. That'll get me going. So scripture states twice here that a wife should submit to her husband and in doing so she honours the Lord. She does it in the fear of Christ, the highest respect towards Jesus himself. She respects the Lord above her husband and he doesn't take the place of Jesus but she recognises that he has a role given to him from the Lord and because she respects the Lord, she respects her husband. She honours his role. And I'm going to repeat here again what I've said before in other places. My position on the subject of gender. As I understand and apply the scriptures, it's this, that men and women are, listen to these, equal in value and dignity. They are both made in the image of God and they are equal in the grace and redemption of God. Therefore, Paul writes in the Galatians, in Christ there is not male or female. We are equal in value, equal in redemption, equal in grace. But we are, because there are other scriptures which speak about these things, we are different in role, because God has made male and female to be different, to be complementary. So the male and female in marriage form a unique and special partnership together. So I put this into theological language. I am not an egalitarian, that there is no difference between male and female. I'm what's called a complementarian, that God has made male and female to complement one another, to work together for the glory of God, bringing different things to the relationship, different skills, different insights, different strengths, different weaknesses. I believe that there are gender-specific roles in the family and in the church, but that does not make 
male and female, unequal in value, and there is no greater or lesser implied. But those scriptures speak about, which speak about gender difference in role and responsibility, apply to those two spheres, the Christian family and the Christian church. Therefore, I'm going to say to you this, that I believe that outside of those two spheres, in the world of work and society, male and female should be absolutely equal, equal pay for equal work, total equality under the law. Ladies, you can applaud that if you want to. I don't know. <laughs> this is not about male superiority. This is not about male dominion. This is about a man being responsible for his church, for his wife, rather, as Jesus is responsible for his church. It's about a man loving his wife the way Jesus loves his church. It's about a man serving his wife the way Jesus serves his church. It's about a man laying his life down for his wife the way Jesus died for his church. And therefore, the wife responding to her husband as the church should respond to Jesus. So it's husbands, honour your wife in the Lord. Ephesians 5.25, let's come on to husbands. Now you're feeling itchy. <laughs> husbands, love your wives. I'm getting ahead of my notes here, but it does not say there, lead your wives. That's implied that you have a responsibility to do that. But it says, love your wives. It doesn't say rule your wives. It says, love your wives. And by the way, that's singular. You're not allowed two or three. Or a wife and a girlfriend or a wife and a mistress. Repent, you adulterous man. Love your wife. They're double plural. Husbands, love your wives. Husband, love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies, like an extension of themselves. He who loves his wife loves himself. When he's being good to her, he's being good to himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Colossians is a briefer letter, and Paul sums all that up in one sentence. Husband, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. You may think I'm overdoing it by using the word honour, but Peter does. Look at this. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, in the same way that Christ loves the church, in the same way that elders need to love the church and lead the church. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives. Double plural, so that's husband, live with your wife. With an understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them, got the word? Honour. 
as co-heir. You see, difference in role, equal in value. Honor her as co-heir. She's equal with you in Christ, but you have a responsibility towards her. So show understanding of her weaker nature. She's not as tough as you sometimes in some respects. But she's a co-heir of, of eternal life, of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Are you getting this? Yes. You heard it this way before? Mm. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up to death for her, he's making her holy, washing her with truth, and will finally present himself to himself, a glorious church with neither the spots of youth or the wrinkles of age. Husbands that will love their wife as Jesus loves his church. And how much did Jesus love his church? Enough to make, going back to Philippians 2, enough to make himself the servant of the Father, enough to become man, enough to humble himself in life, humble himself to obey human parents, enough to wash his disciples' feet, as we movingly saw in John 13 last week, and to humble himself even to death on the cross, to enter into death. That's how much Jesus loved and loves the church. That's the example Paul is saying, husbands, love your wives like that. Love them like that. Jesus also loves the church because the church is his. The church is his body. It's what belongs to him. It's an extension of him. And a Christian husband should love his wife because she's his and they are one body. Here in these instructions to grace-filled, fueled, sorry, spirit-filled Christians, and I'm borrowing a phrase here I read in a book, it says, obedience is a matter of devotion. And authority is an expression of love. I should have put that up there. Obedience in Christian marriage, obedience is a matter of devotion and authority is an expression of love. Put it another way, husbands to love their wives if they love themselves. A loved and honoured wife will take care of her husband and his needs. It's in a man's self-interest to love and honour his wife. In Pharaoh Fenton's version of this verse in Ephesians, he says, the lover of his own wife loves himself. He gets back what he puts out. He reaps what he sows. He gets a reward for his investment in his, God, in his wife. Whatever he does to serve her and help her, he's, he, gets, he, he comes back. Paul again makes the comparison with Christ and his church. Jesus cares for his church as members of his body, tends them. You know, there's a wound, you deal with it. There's a hunger, you feed it. He cares for the church as his own body. So we in turn serve and honor him. Husbands that care for their wife so that their natural response is to honor and care for her husband. Scripture does not set up a man to lord it over his wife and household. Well, I'm the boss round here. Well, I hope someone bigger comes and gives you a slap to teach you a lesson. (laughs) 
It challenges him to care for his wife as Jesus cares for his church with love, service, wisdom, protection, direction. I recently heard the phrase repeated a few times in one afternoon, be the man of the house, be the man of the house. And I wonder, I wonder what they mean by that. If that means be what Jesus is to his church, well and good, I'll say amen. But if that's merely some cultural jargon or expectation of ruling the roost, then I'm against you. Dominating the woman and the children, that is not good. And I will not say amen, whatever the opposite of amen is, probably rubbish. I'll say rubbish, not amen. A Christian husband is to honour, care for and serve his wife as Jesus does his church. It's a great quotation here from John Piper in a book that it's in the footnote in the notes. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection and provision in the home. Standing in for Jesus to your wife and family. Standing in his place. Do you understand that? That's what headship means. And in return, a Christian wife is to honor and submit to her husband as the church should to Jesus. I'm not saying the church does do that. <laughs> I've been around too long. But that's the way we should submit to when a man honours his wife in this way and a woman honours a husband in this way, each and together in the Lord, you then have a Christian, godly marriage. And it will be a lot different to even what the world thinks of as a heterosexual marriage. It will be thoroughly different. And then Paul goes on with a reminder of the foundation of marriage. He goes back to the beginning. Jesus was asked by people trying to trick him a question about divorce. Maybe it wasn't people trying to remember, it was the disciples. I've misremembered that. He was asked a question about divorce. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus didn't answer the question directly. He took them back to Genesis and he quoted Genesis. And that's what Paul does here. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they too will become one flesh, one body. But it's more than just a physical union. They become one, one partnership, one new thing. And when Jesus expanded that to his, his disciples, they said, well, if marriage is like that, it's better not to marry. Wow, if it's like that big a deal. God, what? This mystery is profound, but I'm speaking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect, honor her husband. In fact, that's verse 33, I miscounted. The church is the bride of Christ. Back there in the beginning, God gave an image of this, Adam and Eve, being brought together. A little... It wasn't quite a marriage service as we understand it, but you know, Eve was brought by God to Adam and said, here's your partner. 
And he said, this is woman. She was taken from me. She's part of me. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. And they too will be one flesh. Now, implied in that is the wife leaves her parents. They're no longer under those parents. Those authority gone. They have authority under God for one another now. Except that the husband has the leading responsibility in that partnership. When I was growing up, I, I used to hear a lot of sermons about the bride of Christ. And some people take the analogy of Christ and his bride too far. They go through the Song of Solomon, which is pretty... Uh, Erotic, yeah, it's an erotic book. Am I, am I appalling you? Embarrassing? And they make uh, comparisons between that, the physical intimacy and the, 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 the marital eroticism of Song of Solomon, the love of Christ for his church, and I just find that excruciatingly embarrassing. Uh, but that was the fashion of preaching when I was young, and I still squirm when I remember some of those sermons. I never preached like that then. Paul is not trying to say everything that happens between a man and a woman has an image in Jesus and his church. He's not saying that. He's saying there are certain central points of comparison here. Husbands, love, serve, and lead your wife as Christ does his church. <clears throat> Wives, love and serve your husband as the church is to honor Jesus. I've got a quote for you. It's a long quote. You'll see it in the notes there. It's from R.C. Sproul. He's a dear uh, man of God, theologian. Very, had a real common touch. You could make difficult things seem very much simpler, you know, R.C. Sproul. And here, you can't see it, it's on the screen, it's too, too small. But you can read in the notes. I, I like this comment, okay? I'm going to read it to you. Probably the most fragile mechanism in the whole creation is the male ego. I don't know if you got that. One of the most difficult things to admit or understand is that there's probably nothing that a man wants more from his wife than her admiration. There is probably nothing that a woman wants more from her husband than his attention, taking her seriously and treating her with the greatest dignity. Here what we're getting at is the question of respect. I would put the word honour there. The whole basis of the relationship is built upon love, cherishing and respecting, honouring one another. Admiration, attention. Male ego, don't get too puffed up, guys. It might be helpful here to remind you of the traditional Christian wedding vows, which summarise a great deal of scripture for us. These were, these were first set down in the established Church of England, um, in 1600s or so, in the, this, this form of words. Uh, bear in mind that many people in those days didn't marry at all. They, 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 amongst the, apart from the nobility and the upper classes, people got married by common law very often. Maybe they go to the church for a blessing. But this became the form of marriage. First of all, there's a declaration to which the answer is, I will. Yeah. Uh, Norma, will you, will you take Norma to be your wife? And then look at the question that's asked. Will you love her, comfort her, honour and protect her? And forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. And in the middle of a sunlit, rose-blossomed wedding day, people go, oh, yeah. 
But the man or the woman at that point is to, is to say, I, I, I will. I've said it before, but in a marriage service, you don't ask them what they feel, you ask them what they're choosing. They're making a vow, they're making a decision. Feeling's got them there, now this is about commitment. This is not, I feel like that, it's I will do that. Then comes the, the vows. The declaration is I will, but then the vows, where you have to say after the, the priest, the vicar, whatever it is, or the minister, in my case, you know, me. So I've married for me. Say after me. I, let's do normal, no, don't say it after me, no. <laughs> let's do Norman, Norman and Norma again. I, Norman, take you, Norma, to be my wife. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. This is getting on to Ephesians 5, isn't it? To love and to cherish. And the husband vows that to his wife. Till death us do part according to God's holy law. And this is how I feel at the moment. Does it say that? This is my solemn vow. You can go before a solicitor and you can say, this is what I swear to be true. I, I, make the, I, make this, I seriously state that this is true. And I write it down document and you sign it and he stamps it and that is your certificate of oath. He is, by law, a commissioner for oaths, and he takes down that you have said that and promised that it's true. And he certifies, this is, this is, this is you know, this, a certification of oath. We have made an oath there, a promise that we will do these things. You might want to add, like they do when you say, I will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. We maybe ought to have, so help me God there, because you need God's help to do that. That's grace. That's Christian. You can't do... You, how many of you know that's hard work? We need the grace of God to fuel our hearts to accomplish those things. I'm getting to the end of this sermon quicker than I'd intended, but never mind. So do all we can. I came across a great quote from John Piper, which is in visual form here, it's in the notes again. Marriage, the roots are deep. The covenant is solid. The love is sweet. Life is hard. And God is good. Marriage then in scripture, as you go into chapter 6, widens to family, children of Christian parents. That's for next time. All that we've looked at here today again is fueled, flows from this. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And all of this is in the Lord. 
It's about Christian marriage partners, Christian parents, Christian children. I've got some of my notes from next week in here. I'm sorry. Yeah. For more help on marriage or on parenting, as we look at next week, there are good books to be read, and Karen and I have run courses in the past. We'll readily do so again. But there's no place in looking through the Scriptures. The wrong heart, the wrong attitude. Sinful heart would say, I've got that, I can get hold of that, I can use that. I know who to lecture you with that. I can go home and tell my wife that bit. I can tell my kids that bit. Do you see what the attitude is? Uh. Let me put, spell these out. We'll see them again next week. I'll say them again when we look at employers and employees as well. Wives are not inferior to husbands. Or women to men. And men are not superior to women. Children are not inferior to parents. And parents are not superior to children. You were all the child once. And please God, our children will be parents one day. It's a role, it's a time we serve. Workers are not inferior to bosses, and bosses are not superior to workers. We can deal with them face-to-face as equals, yet respecting that they have an authority over us. If I'm dealing with my my boss, my manager, my employer, respect the authority, but as a personal level, I can talk face-to-face, I can speak openly, honestly. There's no place in this for acting superior. And there's no place in this for developing a put, you, put me down and be inferior. I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. There's no place for that either. But for recognizing the God-given role and honoring that role, that's what matters. We each have our role and responsibility. Wife towards husband, husband towards wife. Child towards parent, parent towards child. We can look at parenting and childhood next week. Employer to employer, employee to employer, employer to employee. Some of you will be really cheering when I talk about the rights of employers to employees. I tell you what, that can't do that till probably after we come off holidays. That is so out of fashion. The situation in the workplace now is worse than when I went first into the workplace in the 1970s. It's worse now than then. What bosses get away with today is worse than when I was, a, you know, could barely shave as a teenager. It's disgraceful. The attitudes of those with authority in the workplace. We're to honour all people is another part of workplace in the world as well. Just as within the Godhead there is love, honour, humility and service. Remember this picture? I'm going to keep showing it to you. Let me spell it out again. The Father loves and honors the Son. The Son loves, honors, and serves the Father. And then the blessed Holy Spirit loves, honors, and serves both the Father and the Son. And when we talk about wives submitting to a godly husband and husbands loving and caring for and serving their wife, we're talking about we're learning the image of God. We're learning... Imageo Dei, the image of God. We were made to bear the image of God. And there's something of the image of God in 
man and something of the image of God in woman. And as they relate together and form a unique and powerful partnership, so the image of God begins to be seen in love and service, humility and honor. I want to say something this morning about our priorities in life. I was taught this as a kid growing up. I had wise pastors who used to say these things and I still think to this day that they're right. How many of you have ever seen or heard something like this? Okay, this is foundational. Three major responsibilities. You could subdivide them and you could make them eight or ten with different headings, but just keep it simple, three. My first priority in life is God. I was made for him. I was made to know him and love him and enjoy him and serve him and obey him. That's the reason I came out of my mother's womb, that I might be a Christian and know and serve Christ. Number one priority. Has to be, because the others don't work without that. You can't get this stuff done without faith, and faith receives grace from the Lord. Number two priority is your spouse, your husband or your wife, and your immediate family. Number two priority. They have to be the second most important thing in the world to you. The second most important thing. <coughs> Number three kind of spins out across different levels. There's church and there's work and there's world. And for some of us like me, who my work is church, it kind of becomes one anyway. But that must not take the place of number one and number two. There has to be a clear priority. No, this, that's more important. I'll drop that to go and deal with that because that has my priority. You can see this in Paul's instructions to Timothy and Titus uh, about appointing men to eldership, oversight in the church. The qualifications for someone to be appointed to leadership, to eldership, is that this man is to be a good husband to his wife and a good parent to his children. He's to manage his own home, his immediate family well, which includes handling money and finances. By the way, money doesn't come anywhere in that list and possessions don't come anywhere in that list. If they become at, in any way your priority, you're an idolatry. You're worshipping something that isn't God. What you have cannot be that important. Why? Because someone can smack it out of your hands in a moment. One way or another. You can't love that stuff. It's dangerous. Those are priorities. So let me we're here. He's to manage his home and even, therefore his finances, even to have a good reputation with outsiders, which would include his place of work. Having a good reputation from, for the, from those who are outside, outside the church, outside of faith. In the process of examining someone for eldership in the past, I, with others, have actually written to the guy's workplace and said, what do you think of so-and-so? What do you think of it? You know? We need, you know, someone who's going to have responsibility in God's church, in God's family, needs to run his family, his own family. And someone who's going to be responsible to handle finance needs to know. Yeah? You're qualified by experience, as we used to say about accountants. I never did all my full total uh, accountancy exams and qualifications. 
I came, I came kind of three quarters of the way there, never did finish them. I just got busy working instead. So I'm what they call qualified by experience, QBE. And leadership and responsibility is all about, in the Bible, being qualified by experience. You've proved you can do it in this, therefore you can be trusted with that. You've shown your measure, you've shown your character, so you can be trusted with the next thing. Character which is found and tested in marriage, in family, and even the workplace is the foundation of responsibility in God's church. Do you see how that works upwards? If you're going to give a responsible position and, and to, to lead in God's, in God's work, the church, you better have proved your value, your character in the workplace and in the family. And lastly, humility comes before honour. So the man who says, I'm the husband, you must honour me, hasn't understood. I nearly said something rude there. Much. <laughs> he hasn't understood it. Because as he humbly leads and serves his wife, she gets the point. Now I know around the room there are those who struggle with marriages and those who've got broken marriages and ended marriages. Your husband wasn't that. I understand. That's painful. But if we have a Christian spouse, or if we one day long to be in a Christian marriage, we need to take these values to the very depths of our hearts. This is how it is. It's a picture of Christ and his church. Not to be overplayed, but in the way that Jesus leads and loves his church, so the husband should lovingly lead his wife. And the way the church responds to the love of Jesus, so the wife should be responding to the love of her husband. And all of that is because they both love and respect the Lord even more than they love each other. Again, John Piper said, love your wife, but love God more. It's where you get your resources to work out the marriage. This is the way of the Lord, humility, service, caring, protecting. If we'll learn it well, we will walk in wisdom. But we need to undo, we need to unlearn some, of, some worldly wisdom that for a long time has infected the church too. And it's easy to push the pendulum too far, and so you, you throw out every scripture that talks about male and female altogether. No, we can't do that. But I hope, I've, I hope I've shown this morning what I really firmly believe is the balance of biblical truth. Equal in value, different in role. And in the Christian family, the husband is to his wife what Christ is to his church. And the wife is to the husband what the church is to Christ. And so we glorify God because there are images of God in the Christian marriage. Images of this wonderful eternal relationship of Christ and his people in the Christian marriage. And this is a Christian marriage. One which is built upon those traditional vows. One which is built upon an understanding of this kind of love. This kind of relationship. 
And I'm not, I'm not concerned to even discuss or debate what the world says about marriage because they've gone so far away from this, I can't even go there. Mm. I'd be wasting my words. This is what Christian marriage is defined as. These values. This pattern of life. May God strengthen those of us who are married to be more like this. And may those of you yet long to have a Christian partner set your hearts on this kind. This kind of person. This kind of wife. This kind of husband. Some of you even now may you're married to a man who is not a Christian. When you pray for him to come to know the Lord, you're praying for him to become more like this. Not just a believer, but someone who puts this into action. Let's pray together. It's your design, Lord. It's your design. It's your design for all humanity, but... Humanity can't go anywhere near it without your grace, without your, your saving power, without your equipping presence, without your truth distilling wisdom into our hearts. They, they can't get anywhere near this. But those of us who love your word, love your truth, know what it is to be helped time and time again by the Spirit, we open ourselves to you today and say, teach me, Lord, show me. Instruct me in your ways. This is a high calling, to be a Christian husband, to be a Christian wife. This is a, a high calling. We need to walk in your wisdom, being instructed by you, hearing you through thoroughly in these things, allowing the Holy Spirit to catch us in the moment when we're about to say or do something and we recognize it's not the right way to do it. This is not appropriate. This is not what I'm called to. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You do teach us. You encourage us and correct us, just as we'll be looking at soon about parents. We encourage and we correct. Holy Spirit, you do that to us. You're just like you represent God the Father parenting us, saying, good, no, yes, no. Come and do that in the, the middle of our homes, in the middle of our marriages, in the middle of our parenting and, 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 and being children towards parents. Come and teach us, Holy Spirit. What honors the Lord? What has his wisdom written through it? Help us to receive your truth and walk in it, we pray. It's so that you are glorified and so that the world can look on and observe and say, why do these people live like this? It's because we are receiving the grace of God to do so through Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.